All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, I guess, actually we're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes before we go into the book of Genesis. But uh, one of the things I wanted to say is that this time of year, early June, uh, particularly in this time, it's beautiful here in the St. John Valley, isn't it? And as we travel up and down the valley, like most of us do uh, regularly, you get to see the new crops coming in and the rotation of crops in various fields. And every year that changes somewhat. Uh, you see the hills, you see the rolling hills, right? And then the, the, the river, the St. John River, as it flows through things. And I'm reminded that uh, the Christian life, the life of a believer, is a lot of hills and valleys. And by the way, you can't have a valley without hills, right? Uh, both go together. Or same way, you can't have a valley with, or hills without a valley, and you, you can't do valleys without hills. And that's the way life is as well, spiritually speaking. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, verse 11, it says, But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. And the children of Israel were reminded of that place uh, in the land of Canaan, as it was such. I want to turn first because uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, because I think Solomon had that same kind of thought in mind, that there are, there are these various things that are almost opposites of one another that we experience throughout life. And this is one of the more familiar texts in the Bible, often read uh, at various times. I've heard it read at funerals, I've heard it read at weddings, I've heard it read at other times, uh, and uh, it's one of these things that says this in chapter 3, verse 1, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you again, recognizing your word that is open before us. We even now, Lord, ask that you would use today's message as we study it, O oh Lord, to just meet those heart needs of everyone present, everyone that will listen to this. And Lord, I pray that you would just teach us as only you can. And we commit our time to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to go back into the book of Genesis. Now, last time uh, we were talking about, this was two weeks ago now, um, Abraham as a peacemaker. And we actually were in the end of chapter 21. And I want to go back to the beginning of chapter 21 and talk about a tremendous event that took place in the life of Abraham. And remember, we've been using him as an example of a life of faith. And we're to somewhat emulate that kind of life of faith for, from other people who have gone before us or are going before us in that way and have paved the way for us. And we're going to look at this chapter. Uh, we're not going to get down through the whole chapter today. That's at least not the plan. And we're, but we are going to look here about um, 
uh, how in the life of Abraham and his wife Sarah, how there were these ups and downs. And I think you've caught that as we've done our study, right? There have been lots of hills and lots of valleys, uh, both in reality as they journeyed through that land, but also in their life spiritually. There were hills and there were valleys. There were tough times and then there were times when they were just joyous uh, over what God was doing in their life. And we see that. There were times of plenty and there were times of famine. And there were times where Abraham had to go up and go to war. And then there were times of great peace, right? And that's kind of where we ended up last week in that. And I, I would just say, as we look at Genesis chapter 21, we come to this part of what the Lord had promised Abraham, which was the birth of a son. Particularly the birth of a son through his wife, Sarah. And we're going to look at that as uh, the outline here. We have a picture in this chapter. There are actually four things that are pictured for us. In We can draw analogy to them in the life of a believer. And the first one is the pictures that is seen in Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And they picture for us faith and promise. Faith and promise. And that's verses 1 to 7. Let's read those. And the Lord visited Sarah, and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. We see this promise that is given through uh, the life of Sarah and Abraham. And it's the idea of a faith that is uh, firmly planted in a promise, that promise coming from God himself. And we see that. And for a matter of fact, Isaac, the name Isaac, uh, means laugh or laughter. Um, But you remember what the name Abraham means? What is Abraham? God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And what does it mean? Father of many or father of a multitude. And that's the sort of irony in all this. There was a 25-year window from the time God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And for that 25 years, from age 75 to age 100, everywhere Abraham went and introduced himself, he was saying, I'm a father of many. And yet the years were ticking by and ticking by, and not only for him, but for his wife as well. And he yet was to have a child uh, as the one promised through Sarah. Uh, that's the promise God gave way back there in not only chapter 12 when we first introduced to Abraham, but in chapter 17. And then we see uh, throughout scripture, and he also told Sarah the same thing in chapter 17 and 18. And we, we read of those and we went over that earlier in our study. But really what we see here is the promise of God that is rooted in a time that is set by God. And that's what it said here Earlier on, it said at a set time. I like that. Uh, Back to 
uh, where was it here? The Lord visited her, and then it said at a set time. And that was something that, uh, when you look at it, uh, God had a certain time that Isaac would be born, the promised son. We don't always like the timing of God, let's be real, right? Because often it involves waiting, and I'm not one to wait. I don't like to wait. Uh, I, I would like to think I'm more patient than some people, but in reality, I'm not a patient man, all right? And probably you're the same way. None of us like to wait for things. And yet, often God, who is the eternal God, he calls us to patiently endure and patiently wait. And those words are hard to, to fathom sometimes when we are so used to the immediate and so used to that. I thought of that this morning as I was in the Tim Hortons line and uh, I was getting the Tim bits there for the kids. And I always love seeing the kids devour those in like seconds. Amazing how quickly they can devour 40 Tim bits. And, but I was in the Tim Hortons line and I, I got in the line. I said, man, there's only one person in front of me today. All right, great. I'm in there. And the guy was in a conversation with the, with the cashier. And I'm like, okay, buddy, come on, come on. My wife says, don't lose your testimony. And I'm like, I wasn't expecting to, but I mean, you know, she was saying, you got to be patient. And you know what? It was probably only an extra 30 seconds or a minute. And the guy was talking to whoever it was, and it was fine. But we don't like to wait. And you imagine waiting 25 years beyond, actually, really, a whole lifetime to wait for the promised son to come. And for Sarah, she was 90 years old, and here is Sarah, and she has yet to have a child. She has yet to nurse a child, and she's 90 years old, and God is going to give her a son. Oh, no wonder Sarah said that people will laugh, and they will laugh with me. And she was talking about a laugh, of really, it's a, a laughter based in faith, because it was seen in that way. Well, we know that it was patience and endurance, because later, God the Holy Spirit, as he breathes out part of the New Testament, comments on this very act in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we read this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, just to comment on those verses, it says of Abraham, he was a man of faith, and that's what we've been talking about in our study, and he was looking for something that wasn't in this world. He was looking for a city, and it was a city that God is building and had built, and he was looking toward heaven is what he was and yet he recognized he had the promise of God here on earth and it says he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob and yet Isaac and Jacob had yet to be born when he set off and he meant he sent he spent many many years in those tents dwelling and he didn't have a son of the promise that was found um, from Sarah verse 11 says by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, uh, I I can only imagine, here's a 90-year-old woman, and she would definitely have to receive strength to be able to have a child at that age. 
uh, it would be an impossibility. And, and today people, you know, scientists would say, no, it's impossible. That can't be done. Even with all our technology today, it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And God was going to take that which, uh, according to Scripture, was well past age and dead in the sense that there was no life that could come out of her and bring life from that woman and that man as well. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 reminds us uh, also of waiting in promise. It says this, that you do not become sluggish or lazy. He's referring to, you know, believers. It's easy to become sluggish in the things of God. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're to imitate them. That doesn't mean we just act like them like a little cookie cutter you know example of of whoever that was but that we imitate those areas in their life that demand faith and trust and endurance right patience all those characteristics i look at some people in my life and as a christian now uh, well over three decades i've been a believer and i've come across a lot of people and over those years i've seen some that go through some great trials and they're examples of faith and patience And some are with the Lord now and are experiencing the hope of that promise in person. Oh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure you have those kind of people too. We're called to imitate them. So that when our time comes and and as we go on, life goes on. Listen, we're called to patiently endure. We're continue to do that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, he says this, For you have need of endurance. Yes, we do. I wish the Christian life wasn't one of endurance. I'm sure Abraham thought the same thing. When God promised him at age 75, you're going to have a son with Sarah, he would have thought, oh great, she's conceived. In nine months, we're going to have a son. No, that isn't what was the plan. It was going to be another 25 years. Oh Lord, how is it? Think of it from a man's perspective or the woman's perspective at that age and saying, but I have to wait more? I have to wait more and more and more. 25 years would pass. But that's the way things are. And you know, we come to the book of James, and James opens with this idea of trials that come and befall really the Christian, the Christian life, and they create in us a great, really an enduring patience. That's what happens. James writes, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's the formula, by the way. You'll never become a more patient person uh, without the testing of that. And particularly in the case of faith, testing of your faith. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or complete, right? Lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, we're reminded that the Christian life is an endurance kind of 
race, really. That's what Hebrews 12.1 says. I thought of that because uh, uh, I have a friend from Fort Kent, and he's actually from Durham, Maine. His name's Caleb, Caleb Hunter. And he is a biathlete, right? And he's training at the biathlon, uh, or for the biathlon program for the United States. And um, he trains there in Fort Kent year-round. And we work together on the ambulance service. And I have his permission to use him. I sent him a little text this morning. I said, I'd like to use you in a sermon illustration. And he said, oh, no problem, you know. Uh, I told him it would be, you know, in the context of patience and endurance. But one thing I've discovered with Caleb, watching him, he's, he's positioning himself, hopefully, here. He's really close, too, to making the U.S. team on the Olympics and for the Olympics and representing our not only our state but our country at that level and he's about 20 years old and and he's uh, worked hard most of his life to to get to that place and if you look outside I haven't seen any snow lately although it's probably still there somewhere if you look close enough uh, Maine doesn't go without snow for very month very few months or at least northern Maine but Caleb uh, gets up in, you know, throughout the day or whatever, and, and he's always at, you know, training. He's exercising. He's doing those kind of things. And he's got a great attitude about it. You, know, uh, you have to really dig it out of him to figure out what place he is in his rankings and things like that. He's, he's a humble guy. And um, I, I like working with him in, in that. But I've, I've watched this young man for a couple of years now, and he's one of those guys that he's just patiently enduring and running and he's competing he'll go away for a few weeks in the winter here and there and compete in various things and and he comes back and and i I always ask how'd you do how'd you do oh you know i placed in the top 20 i placed there whatever and and he continues to improve and it reminds us really that when it comes to especially athletes you don't get to be the top of your game just like that it doesn't happen that way I don't care who you are, you, there takes skill. And, of course, for biathlon, not only do you have to know how to, to ski and to ski fast, but to ski long distance, but you also need to be able to shoot, right? And they have to be able to accurately and, and speedily put uh, rounds down on a target in between their skiing, you know, as they go on and all of that that goes on. It's a tremendous uh, sport. It really is. And... I think of that because it requires a lot of preparation, a lot of practice, and you patiently endure as you go through it. And uh, I keep saying, uh, Caleb, when you're rich and famous, remember me, you know, all that. Uh, Probably there's not much wealth in biathlete uh, events, but, or biathlon events, but I, I will say this, that he's one of those guys just out there challenging himself every day to do more and more, and more power to him in that way, right? Uh, I'm thankful for Caleb. Anyways, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, we also, who's he referring to? Believers, all right? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we have a goal, all right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. I think of Jesus because he's the one we're to look to. But Jesus entered into this world wrapped in flesh, right? The son was given there at the conception in a virgin's womb. We celebrate that at Christmas, the birth of Christ. And for some 33 years, he had to 
grow up and walk this earth, the same earth that you and I walk, with the same temptations and trials and uh, heartaches and all those things that every one of us faces. Actually, the Bible says that that in every way he was tempted like we are, and yet without sin. That's the difference. We, we are tempted and we are tried in a world that is tainted by sin and it taints us because we're sinners also. But Jesus wasn't of this world and yet he was in this world and he was fully human, yet fully God. And that's the great mystery of the incarnation, but he needed to be. Because he's the ultimate goal we look to. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You know, I look at Abraham or Sarah, and I say they're great examples of faith, but they weren't perfect, were they? But the direction of the course of their life was one of faith, that's for sure. But Jesus will never let you down. You look to him. He despised, or excuse me, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And the cross was before him his whole life. 33 years of this life. It wasn't that Jesus just came down for uh, a few hours and put on flesh and went to the cross, but he went through this life and at the peak of his life. About age 33 for a man is their peak, their prime. From there on, things begin to be a little harder to keep up and all of that. Some of you are saying, man, that's so far in the past. I don't even, I don't even know if I, when that was. But listen, Jesus in his prime was cut down but it was a patience and endurance to go to the cross and then it was that final stretch which was that unforgiving minute right we see how the revelation of God's power was also demonstrated in the life of Sarah and Abraham in the book of Romans the apostle Paul writes here Uh, He says, as it is written, I have made you father of many nations. And in the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now think about that. What uh, he's writing about here is that Abraham was past the years in which he should be bringing forth a child because he himself was was dead physically to do that on his own his wife also was past those years she too was dead physically to be able to bring forth life out of her womb but look what it says of them who contrary to hope in hope believed something so impossible that it doesn't even make sense something that people would say you can't why are you putting your hope in that Why are you putting your hope in a God who says you have a son that you don't even have yet? He's even named you such. Abraham, father of multitude. What kind of God do you want to hope in that hasn't even given you a son? But he's changed your name. But God knew the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and everything in between. And he, when he called Abraham and he changed his name, he did so with the perfect realization that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. So that he became the father of many nations, according to that, or what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. You see, God is the only one who can take that which is dead and bring life, and bring life out of it. And Abraham didn't waver in that. He knew that if this was going to happen, it only could happen if God made it possible And God said he had promised that, and so he rested in that. That's a great example for us as well, isn't it? By the way, you in your sin, the Bible says that we, sinners, are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does that mean exactly, dead in our trespasses and sins? Well, first of all, it it literally means we're dead to God. We we can't exercise our spirit, all right, our soul, that immaterial, non-material part of us that that desires to worship God, but can't on its own. We'll go and worship anything but God. We'll worship idols. We'll worship some dead person. We'll worship, you know, some place. But to worship the living God, that's only done in spirit and in truth. And he has to bring that about in us. He has to make us a new creation because the old is dead spiritually. The book of Ephesians in chapter 2 tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That means I cannot save myself. A dead person can do nothing to help themselves. But a live person being brought to life can, right? In that way, they are, they are given strength. And that's what's pictured in the new birth. In Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 20, uh, and I have the wrong reference there, um, but in Ephesians chapter 2, and in verse 8 is really what I want to go to, I'll get there on my print Bible here. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And what? Not of yourselves. For it is the gift of God. Not of works. Right? Lest, lest any man should boast. See, if Abraham at a hundred years old could have brought life out of his loins and Sarah's womb at age 90 could have brought life they could have boasted look at us we kept ourselves healthy we ate spinach with every meal we had smoothies every morning all that stuff and those are all good by the way have spinach and eat smoothies and all that stuff but no matter what that stuff doesn't keep away aging forever all right it won't somehow if we could do that we would boast in that Look at me. I live forever. No, you won't. This body wears out, and it's a constant reminder that our strength is dwindling, and old age is, is sadly, it's a, it's a knock at the door that should prepare us even further for the next part, the city whose builder and maker is God. Right? Abraham looked ahead. He realized his own body could not produce a son, and his wife could not produce a son Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Right? That's how Paul ends up in this section. He says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's the power of God in the life of a believer and corporately in the life of his church. We should be examples of that resurrection power, shouldn't we? Paul also says that in Philippians chapter 3. He says that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Sometimes that's the hard part. We, we as, as sinners, we think we can bring life, as in life to God, without God. Can't be done. You may just be a religious sinner, there's lots of religious activity that goes on every day. There's all kinds of things people will do. Today even, they will go to churches, they will go to houses of worship somewhere, and they will go through certain rituals, and they will think, I must be, uh, I must be closer to God now, and I must be more alive. No, they're still dead sinners. They're just religious sinners. Religion doesn't save you. Only Christ can breathe new life and save you in that. Uh, that's the way it works. Well, second thing here. In, back in Genesis chapter 21, we see this, the distinction. Now, Abraham and Sarah reveal to us faith and promise. They had two sons, or Abraham had two sons. You remember Ishmael. Ishmael had been born already. And he was the son that was born to Hagar. We talked about Hagar uh, a while back when we were in that section in uh, Genesis where Hagar was the Egyptian handmaid that came out with them when they were in Egypt, and she was a servant in the house. And Sarah came up with a great plan, uh, and Abraham consented to it, uh, is that because Sarah couldn't conceive up to that point in her life, and she's now getting old, and past those years, she said, well, God said we're supposed to have children, because that's what he promised Abraham. He was going to be a father of many nations. So I have a great idea. You take Hagar and go and have a child with her. Well, that didn't bring anything but unhappiness in a home. It really was, it was awful what took place. And there was always animosity from that time on. Because Hagar conceived. She had a son, Ishmael. And there was this animosity between Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, and and Sarah, who is yet to have her own child. And yet God said she was going to. And it really pictures for us, sometimes we get ahead of God's plan, don't we? And we have to live with the consequences. You can't undo that. But yet God can still bless it, and he does. And we may not get to that part of the scripture today, but we see that. Now, let's look here. It says this of Genesis 21, 8. It says, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. There are those consequences to doing something in the past that follow you and and it brings heartache and that's really what it says it was displeasing to abraham it was displeasing because he has a wife that's not happy she's she's upset she's jealous the hagar is scoffing and then the son uh, ishmael is creating division in the household and she says cast this bond woman out she had come there as a servant to abraham and sarah and now she was a mother of abraham's son but not the son of promise. And we see really the picture between Isaac and Ishmael is pictured for us as the spirit and the flesh. One son was what was produced in the flesh when Abraham was still able to produce a son. And that's all he could produce, all right, is a son in the flesh. 
Then there was the son that was produced in the spirit. And that was the son of promise. And that only could be produced after he was past childbearing age and after his wife was. And only God can bring life out of deadness, right? And we see that. Nevertheless, there is this great problem. Now, how do you know that? That it's between the spirit and the flesh, that illustration? is because, again, the Holy Spirit, who is the best commentator of the Bible, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, writes of that in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 4, it uses these two sons as an example of how we either serve the flesh or serve the spirit. It says this, But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic. So Ishmael and Isaac were actually, they were real people, but they also were symbolic of something else. They are symbolic, it says, For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in the bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has has many more children than she who has a husband. That's from Isaiah chapter 54. Look what he goes on to say. Paul says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And I say it this way, that Ishmael and Isaac picture for us the bondage that sin keeps us in. And Paul later says this, it pictures for us that which was given at Mount Sinai. What's he referring to? What happened at Mount Sinai? What was given to man? What's that? The tablets, yeah. The law of God. Anything wrong with the law of God? No, nothing wrong. Except the law cannot save you. You follow the Ten Commandments, and you won't, by the way. Nobody has kept the Ten Commandments except Jesus. But you look at the Ten Commandments, and and even if you can attempt to follow those laws, they still bear record of us that we're sinners. That's all they do. They tell us that we need salvation. Ishmael was the son that was produced in the flesh. He was never the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise who was only produced because God miraculously brought him in through two very old people at that time. And as the scripture says in Galatians, cast out the bondwoman. Cast out the old. You know what? If you're a Christian, you should not be living with the sin of the old. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But that's what is pictured in the book of Genesis. And it shows that often that's how we get entangled with things, right? And you can't run the race unless you are free from those things. You can't do it well anyways unless you're free from those things. And yet, not easily undone, is it? 
uh, in that. And God was still going to do that. We see in the scripture where the firstborn, Ishmael, was rejected and God accepted the secondborn. And that's odd because culturally in that day, most of the inheritance always went to the firstborn. We see that. And yet in scripture, there are several instances in scripture where the secondborn was chosen and not the firstborn. I think of Cain and Abel. Cain was born before Abel. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was rejected. You have Ishmael and Isaac. You have Esau and Jacob. They were the sons of Isaac, right? And it was actually not Esau who was the firstborn that was chosen, but, it, but Jacob. We, we see um, Ephraim and Manasseh, Genesis 48. And it was Ephraim who was chosen instead of Manasseh in that. And you see how that goes on and again and again and again. And even in the Passover, which occurred in the, in the book of Exodus, we read it was those, not the firstborn. The firstborn was condemned unless they were under the blood. And only those found under the blood of a lamb were saved. You know, God wants those who are the twice-born. Not just second-born, but the twice-born. That's what the Bible teaches for us, or to us. And I just conclude with this. Familiar verse, John three sixteen and 17 following. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Some people think that. Think, oh, you know, Christ came to convict me of my sin and condemn me. No, He didn't. Christ came to save you. You were already condemned. <laughs> the only thing God did is send a lifeline, a rescue for you. The only one. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And we're reminded that it is God who has given us a way out. In that context of John chapter 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, second birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He's not referring to a physical birth, but rather he's referring to a birth from above, a birth that is an impossible thing for us to do, but something that God can do very easily. He can breathe life into a dead sinner and make him born again. Are you born again? Are you under the blood of God's Lamb? Are you following Him in faith and endurance and patience? All those things come out of our text here this morning. I pray you know Him. I pray you understand who He is and why He came. And that you are accepted in the Son of God, Jesus the righteous. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for Your Word. Thankful for Your goodness. Thankful for the son of promise. Thank you for Isaac who, Lord, as he had children and those children had children and would go on down through a lineage where one would come and arise and be born and his name would be called Jesus. What great promise we have in him who bore our sins on the tree of the cross, paid the way, for us to have eternal life with him. 
We cast ourselves before you again, acknowledging that today, O Lord, and we are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.